0: the Entain Voices podcast. Uh, This is a podcast series that speaks to influential and inspiring people within Entain and its partners and people we're working with, and highlights some of the great work that they're doing around the business and with the business. Uh, I'm Simon Clare. I'm the Consumer PR Director at Entain, and I'll be hosting this podcast for you today. Uh, And I'm very excited to introduce a very special guest indeed. He's a man we're very proud to call our ambassador for Entain's grassroots sports investment program pitching in, He is none other than Stuart Pearce. Welcome, Stuart.
1: Good morning to you.
0: Many people listening will, of course, know you. They'll they'll have followed your career. They'll have cheered you on, et cetera. There'll be many people from around the world listening to this who may not be so familiar um, with with, uh, your career and, indeed, maybe not be that familiar with football or soccer, as it'll probably be called, in various parts of the uh, the world who are listening. Um, You've obviously had an an illustrious career at club level for England. You've captained your country. Uh, You've managed some big clubs. You've coached at the top. I suppose just starting first at, in terms of your club career, just sort of give a sort of summary really of that, of your club career and really some of the high, personal highlights.
1: Um, if I take it from probably the top end and work backwards to sort of where I began, that would probably be the, the, the best way of doing it. I was fortunate enough to play for uh, 19 seasons at the pro game. Uh, playing for five teams so I was really fortunate I didn't come into the game until late till I was 21 so always felt as I had a bit of catching up to do if you like you know from from sort of humble beginnings Um, I ended up I I managed to play till I was 40 years old which um, I think it was purely down to the fact uh, of a, a strong mentality that said sort of almost you know I've missed out on on potentially six years of of early professional football when I was a youngster, not coming in till I was twenty one. So that sort of drove me on, in my mid thirties, to carry on till sort of the back end uh, of my thirties, up to about forty years old. And some of the teams uh, you know, I was at Newcastle, it was at Manchester City, twelve years at Nottingham Forest. That I'm probably more remembered for, and was fortunate enough in that time to, to reach international standard as well. And uh, Went to a World Cup and a couple of European Championships, which which were fantastic experiences. But I think a lot of that, Simon, really were were underpinned by my humble beginnings and the fact I I come through the non league system and the grounding that that gave me to sort of keep sort of inspiring me internally, probably, uh, and the help that some a lot of the people sort of give me in those times. You know. I'm, I'm in contact with some of those non-league players that I, I played with, some of the managers and coaches that helped me on my journey, you know, that I'm, I'm eternally grateful to. I mean, we'll talk about your beginnings, actually, because it's very relevant
0: to the conversation we'll have about pitching in and, and, and entails um, support for grassroots football and non-league football. Um, you actually had, 100, I think, 176 games for Willston before you became a professional football player, which is, I mean, even back then, would that have been an unusual start to a professional career of football?
1: Yeah, it certainly would have done. I mean, I, I was—I left school at the age of sixteen, playing for a very successful school team that had been champions of London on a couple of occasions. Um, and but when I reached the age, I, would, I had a small six-month period at Queens Park Rangers training as a thirteen-year-old, and then was was told that I was no longer needed there because I didn't make the standard. And and at the time, you know, that was was my club. I used to live near Queen's Park Rangers. I was a supporter of the club. So in some ways for a 13-year-old, it, it was quite a blow, really, that knowing full well that you hadn't reached the standard and everyone as a youngster wants to be a professional. But there was another path opened up for me at the age of 16. With, I had nowhere to go and play football, basically. And uh, the caretaker at the school we were at had a real keen interest in the, in the school football team and took five of us to our local non-league team, Wildstone. And I was fortunate enough to to have the opportunity to play at a reasonable standard in in the youth team and then the reserves at the, most of that first season, and then broke through into the first team at the age, I think I was 16, rising 17. And that Give me a wonderful opportunity to play football at a standard that that was a very good standard for me. I'd never played at that standard before, and uh, I'm eternally grateful for the for the club and and you know the setup to give me that opportunity. And, and th- that sort of, sort of ladders in really why why why, um, well, why we
0: approached you to be our pitching and ambassador uh, two years ago and um, just uh, well eighteen months ago and. Um, because when Entain decided to launch pitching in as a grassroots um, investment program for grassroots sport and non-league sport, uh, we decided to sponsor the Trident leagues, um, which are, for those who wouldn't be aware, is sort of quite a way down the football pyramid. You know, it's uh, non-league football, and um, some of it semi-professional, um, Isthmian League, Northern Premier League, Southern League, about 250 clubs, I think, across England and Wales. Um, and with your background. It felt to us that you, you, you know, you, you'd be a great fit for that uh, program. We approached you. So, what, what, what was that? Why was it? I mean, I've probably half answered the question. Why was it? You thought, yes, I'm happy to be the ambassador for pitching in.
1: Well, I'm quite passionate about the non-league scene. I really am. Um, you know, it's almost a marriage made in heaven. Myself, you know, getting involved with pitching in uh, in regard to, I always feel as though whilst I've sort of you know, I've gone through the food chain of football to the top of the pyramid, captain my country, that type of thing. I've always felt as though I've had a sort of humbleness about myself and never lost track of where I've come from and the, and the beginnings that I've had and all the time and effort. A lot of people have put in volunteers in the game, certainly at the level I started at, that put their time and effort in to give me the opportunity to rise up and, and eventually become an England captain. Um I think if we take our eye off off the fact that unless we've got a really strong sort of base of pyramid, if you like, then you're never going to get the likes of of myself coming through. You're never going to create an environment in communities where people can go and just enjoy football, enjoy playing football, enjoy watching football, enjoy volunteering for their Mm. local club and that, that sense of community that gives as well. Never should be underestimated, and and I was really fortunate that on my doorstep I had Willstone and and they give me that opportunity w- without that stepping stone. And uh, as you say, I was there five and a half years, so I wasn't a Johnny come lately who was had the opportunity and always going to be a very talented young player. I had to work through five and a half seasons of, of playing uh, in. It was the conference at the time. It was the Southern League at the time that I played in. I had to have that environment to flourish, basically, because I wasn't good enough at the age of 16 to turn pro. And it wasn't until a couple of flirtations with Hull at, at the age of 18 I, I had the opportunity to go and play, um, which wasn't for me at the time, and then the opportunity to, to turn pro at Coventry. Yeah, and I mean, and I think you are articulated really well. So, I mean, the... the the, the fact of the matter is is that
0: you know football it's often it's it's very easy to be to focus purely on the very top of football because of the TV and the glamour and you you know it's amazing it's an amazing product isn't it and it's uh, you know it's I mean, football in England is 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 a huge success and yet it, it, you know it is a pyramid and there's when you when you go down to those level lower levels of sport which don't get that spotlight and indeed don't get the funding actually do they Stuart it's it's they they're really important and they're and they're proper clubs aren't they I mean we went to Hornchurch didn't we before their FA Trophy Game them last year, and you knew the manager actually well. You played against him, I think, but it was only only walk through the door. Every single time you walk through one of those clubs, you realise, as you say, there's loads of players playing, there's families connected, there's volunteers supporting the club, there's a chairman, there's a you know a president. You know, there's a, there's an infrastructure, and it's and it's baked in that community. And you can easily take your eye off that and forget that, and and they and it can disappear if they, if they haven't got the level of you know the level of revenue coming in. I mean, they're very, it's amazing how well they continue year in, year out. But um, it is an eye-opener, isn't it? And I think that's why I, I, I sense, you know, you, you you enjoy still having a hand in that whilst operating at a higher level yourself self professionally.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, especially with the pandemic, you know, which yeah. we've gone through, you know, the, the finance from pitching in that they've, they've funded these leagues with has been an absolute lifeline for these football clubs. Without any revenue over the bar, through the turnstiles, those type of things. It's kept these football clubs going. And we, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to, to be, I don't have to be reminded of my roots and where I've come from, but, you know, just recently, you know, West Ham have been drawn against a non-league team, you know, in the FA Cup and the excitement. I, I went to watch them on, on a couple of occasions um, playing league matches and and all of a sudden, it reminds you of the excitement of, of you know, that David versus Goliath scenario that, that we've had, the opportunity for, for players to showcase themselves and the opportunity for players as well to, to, to work their, their way up the leagues, if you like, you know. but they need a grounding. They need somewhere to start and they, they need people to take the time and effort out, to, to, whether it be grounds people or whoever it may be that gives them the opportunity To play and be part of that community, and the community thing's a big thing for me as well. You know, I, I remember when I used to play for Wildstone, we used to see the, you know, we used to have a good camaraderie after the game, going to the bar after the game, all the players and the same people that were there that were supporting the football club, doing all the jobs on the ground that was so so important to to give me as a youngster the opportunity to go and play football at places like Dorchester or Kettering or wherever it was. In the country, it was fantastic, and uh, it's our national sport as well. Yeah. Don't ever lose track of that. You know, it's so important that we have a really healthy national sport at all levels. Yeah, and in, in your role as a pitching in ambassador, obviously, you you know you work
0: across you know various different um, sort of pillars. One of them actually is is the fact that we're looking soon to be launching a, a big volunteering program to promote the fact that uh, there are volunteering opportunities at those clubs, which many people might not know about, and actually to create a website where people can almost go on and look for roles and find their local clubs. From your experiences, I mean, just just again, and you have touched already, but just the importance of uh, clubs of, of volunteers, the fact that these aren't paid roles, doing all the different things at the various non-league clubs.
1: Yeah, I- The the one thing that made it really stark for me was probably the pandemic and the shutdown of society and and we didn't have that opportunity in our local football clubs to come and do those type of jobs, you know, and and the league was shut down and I I think it was a real stark reminder that the importance of of the hub of community and and certainly this volunteering hub is going to be a massive thing because... There are some individuals that don't know they want to get involved with their local football club. They don't know how to go about the process and whatever. And this will certainly mm. give them sort of some sort of assistance in trying to do that. And and all the clubs around the country, you know, I can name every town in the country. They've all got a, a, a football club, yeah, um, a, a varying degree, a varying standard, whatever it may be. And they're desperate for volunteers. They're desperate for people to come and take interest. And you never know, you you might have. The next England captain out there that thinks I want to go and volunteer, I want to go and be part of, of my local football club, and they mm. need a pathway to try and, you know, be a player or or just come and volunteer for for the the enjoyment of being part of a community and part of a football team.
0: Yeah, because
1: I remember actually when we were down at Tame taking the um, some photos of you, remember <laughs> in the picture? and we met
0: the uh, the groundsman. I think I think he was a Geordie, and he was the groundsman. And his wife ran the canteen or something, and the two of them, a couple, um, obviously down in Tame, which is sort of north it's up it sort of Buckinghamshire? He said, No, or yeah, it's um a local, that,
1: club, I, so yeah. Local
0: club? yeah that, that was a good example, wasn't it? You know, sort of, yeah. there's all sorts of roles, are It could be accountants, it could be yeah. working on the gate, it could be anything. So um it's uh and and the other another aspect of the pitching in which um Big, which goes beyond just the sponsorship of the leagues, the pitching in Northern and the pitching in Southern and pitching in Eastern, is the uh, grants we're giving out. And um, I think over fifty clubs now have, to have, a, have applied for and got um, got grants approved from the Trident Community Foundation. And it's quite interesting that a lot of them uh, are focused almost on coaching in the community, whether it's you know coaching of uh, young girls or special, you know, children with special needs, or walking football for sort of over fifties, as well as just coaching you know sort of uh, you know in, in the community. That's quite interesting. Actually, we weren't sure what to expect. We thought there might be more capital projects, like almost like doing up like, the changing room or something. It was in, very interesting. It was all really heavily focused on coaching. Does that surprise you, or do you think that's that's part of the course?
1: I must say, when when um, you know I, I was first involved, and in, in we talked about putting grants out to these teams, I thought it it would have been more sort of facility based. Mm. I find it quite refreshing that it's based. I'm a coach myself, you know um so i find it quite refreshing that it's aimed at that and that directly is aimed at at maybe the younger element of society which are the next generation that we have to inspire you know if we can give them an interest in, in 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 the profession that i and you love that much you know our national sport and get them hooked at an early age and give them a really good experience because we've got coaches there that are uh, are excellent at what they do and develop a love of the game. You know, it's very easy to to give youngsters, put youngsters off at times, but this funding will, will be really important to, to educate coaches to give these youngsters, you know, with, with the pitches they play and all of those type of things, uh, an experience of football that hooks them for life. It is, isn't it? Because, of course... Particularly you know, for young people, and you know, there's
0: been a lot of them, saying, you know. I think it, 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 without being stereotypical, I think that the draw now for kids to be inside playing computer games more than may, maybe being out in the parks. So maybe society's a bit more protective, doesn't let you just kind of throw their kids out into the parks like we would have done when we were youngsters. So, almost having that youth football and that young the coaching programs and that youth football at these clubs is almost as important as the adult football in those clubs, isn't it? Because it's providing that safe environment for children to play football and where maybe when we were young, we'd just be able to park the load of mates,
1: you know. In all honesty, Simon, I think it's more important. Mm. I really do. Without that, we we spoke earlier about the pyramid system. Now, individual clubs have got a pyramid system as well. And I think you have to get that base right. If you strip it right the way back, that initial base of youngsters, the next generation of of players to come through, the next generation of, of society that, that need somewhere for a health and fitness scenario as much as anything else, as much as being part of a local community, a local team, you name it. That I, I think it's more important. You get that right, you'll get the next next tier of the pyramid right.
0: Yeah, I no, think that's absolutely right. I mean, it's and just I suppose with this is a global podcast. There's people listening potentially in Europe and Australia and America. It, it's a it's a global thing, isn't it? I mean, every every in every country there'll be there'll be lower levels of football and the importance of investing. I think the Entain is looking at other countries actually to replicate the pitching and model, you know, um, because it, I imagine the, the 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 challenges are the same,
1: without a doubt. Uh, a lot of it all bear down to sort of finance, yeah. you know, facilities, finance, that tool, sort of thing. Unless you've got the facilities there and the people that are going to put their time and effort into it. To, to generate the opportunity. And you rightly said, you know, in England and Britain is, is not in isolation here. Every country of the world loves this, this profession that we're talking about here. Everyone wants to go out and kick a ball around and be part of a team. That was one of the big draws that I had as, as a young player. And, and I look at people that are involved in maybe individual sports. I class myself as really fortunate to be involved in a team game and the, the team interaction that has been fantastic to me. I've made some wonderful friends over the years that I, I've been in contact with. Going back to my non-league days, you know, I'm still in contact with with people that, you know, my old captain, I spoke with him, he rung into a radio show I was on the other day and I, on the back of that went round, had a coffee with him. I've not seen seen him for 30 years, you know, and straight away you pick up the old conversations that I had when I was a 16-year-old looking at him in awe because he was the captain of the club. So. All of those type of things, and this is replicated all over the world, basically, mm-hmm. not just in, in isolation.
0: And I mean, if you, I suppose, the, the other the other aspect of pitching in, which um, we, we're quite proud of, is we we, we work with Sports Aid, um, supporting fifty athletes a year, para para Olympians and para athletes and athletes, and across all types of discipline. And you actually had the. Uh, the privilege to manage the Team GB at the Olympics in 2012 must been an incredible experience as well as coaching the England under 20 for many years. So your your involvement in coaching and mentoring um, players and athletes uh, sort of connects quite closely to that 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 funding for young up and coming stars. That's another area you feel is 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 it's, a, it's, a, it's an area businesses like Intain should do and 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 it's worth doing.
1: It it certainly is. It's the same without the funding. Um, I went to, to manage the team at Team GB and was rubbing shoulders with, with athletes that that weren't professional at times or were professional without the funding, you name it, you know. And speaking with them, it, it was so important that they did get support and initiatives like Pitching In do exactly that. They give them support. And the the, the biggest, the saddest point for me would be if we had individuals that without that funding don't get the opportunity to show their talents to to a, to a larger community, a larger stage, and sometimes even a, an Olympian stage or a professional stage, mm-hmm. like myself really, I, I'm typical of that that individual that, that had the opportunity as a 16-year-old that ended up, was enabled to walk out and lead in an England national team at Wembley or play at a World Cup, you know, I don't get that opportunity if it's not for those individuals giving up their time, their effort, and hopefully we're pitching in the finance put into to these scenarios all give the next generation. And make no mistake, it's not about my generation now or our generation, should I say. I don't want to lump you into my <laughs> I'm the same age as you, Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> But it, it's all about the next generation. How can, can people of my ilk... You know, I go into coaching because I want to help people and help the next generation. And there's nothing more rewarding now than than seeing the next generation, a sports person, flourish and, yeah. and achieve their best. And that, and that's really important to me. Yeah. Well, listen. That's why it's we're uh, so delighted that
0: you are, are pitching an ambassador because it really is sort of like a hand fitting a glove in terms of your connection with. Uh, with these areas of sport and your passion for it, so so thank you, and long may that continue, as I say. And before I let you go, though, we should touch on the fact that uh, you are, um, you know, a man who's got an amazing career in football and still is, still has one at West Ham. What do
1: you make of the title race between Man City and Liverpool? Do you think it's still alive? I, I think it certainly has looked that way. I think with with the Champions League opening up. And the the games that they play, certainly the amount of games that the top teams play now in the running to the end of the season. I think it looked a one-horse race a couple of weeks ago. It only takes one defeat and all of a sudden Liverpool have got to go to, the, uh, to Manchester City. So that will be a very intriguing game. So it only takes one defeat, but I think whoever's going to win it has near enough got to be faultless between now and the end of the season. But it will be a brilliant race to watch. And obviously at the back end of this year, we've got this extraordinary, well, the World Cup,
0: which is the biggest football tournament in the world. And it's happening in November and December, uh, Stuart, with your you know, West Ham United hat on. That's going to play havoc with the domestic season. How are you sort of approaching it from a club perspective? And what do you think it's going to be like as a as a, as a tournament?
1: Well, you know, it, it's unique. We, we've never had this before. I'm, I'm quite refreshed by it because I think our players will go to the World Cup uh, fresher than probably at the end of a long domestic season. So I think it'll give the, both all the home countries, their teams, anyone who's qualified for it, mm. will give their teams a better chance, if you like. Yeah. Um, the break in the season, I don't think it will be a bad thing for the, for the players that don't go to the World Cup. Good I point. think they can freshen up as well. You know, before, you know, I think it, it, the World Cup starts, I think, about the 14th or 24th of November, sort of November to December, that little block there. I think it will be quite refreshing and the fact that all the stadia will be quite close to each other, if you're on the ground, I I would love to go and be part of a commentary team of some description, I've covered the last couple of World Cups, last couple of European Championships, you know, so I would love to be there on the ground and it gives you opportunity not just to get to England games but other games in the group as well where some of the other tournaments that I've been to, you know, that have been spaced out a little bit more probably don't, so... Yeah. I, I'm quite looking forward to it. And it might just be a model going forward that, that European countries look at and say, you know what, it's not such a bad thing and it might just help the national team as well. Yeah, it'd be great if England won it, wouldn't it? That would be, I think. <laughs> I think we'd want the World Cup that time of year, every year, if that was the case. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, there's
0: lots of people listening
1: who aren't English. would be sort of saying, no, Germany or France or whatever. But um, who do you think will win the World Cup? Have you got a, a feeling? Uh, At this stage, probably not. I think, you know, if you look at a team, you know, your your passion, horse racing, if you look at a team that that are coming along and building up nicely, we've had, you know, a semi-final, we've had a final. uh, Mm -hmm. That's built confidence within the England ranks. I think as well the freshness that I talked about, the climate not so bad as well, the time difference between where we're playing, you know, you're talking probably... I, I went there in a November a few years ago and it was a consistent 24, 25 degrees, which isn't bad to play in. You know, it's it adds to a good training environment and a good playing environment, that sort of temperature. So I think right across the board, a lot of things all fit European sides without a doubt. Um, and fingers crossed for England. That's brilliant. Listen, thank you so much, Stuart, for your time. It was brilliant to hear from you.
0: Um And if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can find more in the series via Entain Voices on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to find out more about Pitching In, our grassroots sports investment programme project, you can learn more on the Entain website or via our Pitching In social accounts on Twitter and Facebook, which is at pitchingin underscore. uh, And you've also got our Entain social handles at Entain Group. Thanks once again for listening. A big thanks to Stuart and I've thoroughly enjoyed hosting this edition of Entain Voices. Keep your eyes peeled for the next uh, Entain Voices podcast coming soon.